I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia, the commentary.ca. Wayne Grady joins me again. He's just published a new book, Pandexicon, How the Language of the Pandemic Defined Our New Cultural Reality. He has collected all the new words and expressions that uh, began to appear in the media, scientific and uh, scientific journals and everyday speech. He reflects on them and looks at their origins, some going back to uh, previous pandemics or even earlier like, say, the Bible. It's a fascinating book because it takes us back over the last three years and all that we've seen around us and around the world. We've uh, been through a lot, a lot of uh, uncertainty and a lot of time in limbo. Uh, there was a lot of worrying, and some of it was just surreal. The book is a good way to look at how we were as a society through the language we share. Wayne Grady is the author of more than a dozen books of nonfiction and three novels, including um, Emancipation Day, which he was uh, first on the program with in 2013. He lives in Kingston, Ontario, where he joined me from earlier this week, as well as uh, San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. This uh, new book is published by Greystone Books. Please welcome back to the Plant Online program, Wayne Grady. Mr. Grady, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Pretty good yourself. I'm well, thanks. Have you noticed, Wayne, that... Um, over the last three years, certainly in the midst of the, the pandemic, the, the, the first two years of the pandemic, I should say, because we're still in it in, in a, in a mm-hmm. way. Um, when, when someone would ask you how you were, they really meant it this time? <laughs> yes, I think there's, there's no small talk anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, people are not only concerned for other people, but concerned for themselves. I think people are are wary of going into crowded rooms or restaurants. I think a lot of people, myself included, feel that we, we're letting off a little early because there's still, there's still a lot of uh, COVID out there. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think the, being in a pandemic has changed the way we've behaved in a lot of ways, uh, especially with, with each other. Yeah. I thought early on I would give up shaking hands. And yeah. um, I, I, I've gone back to it because, you know, if, if someone extends their hand, I'll, I'll you know, return it. Yeah. But That's at the fair. same time, if, if, if I extend my hand and, and the other person doesn't, yeah. I'm not terribly offended by that. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, we had the elbow bump. Right, yeah. Uh, in, instead, uh, instead of shaking hands. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's sort of a human instinct, isn't it? Well, certainly a cultural instinct to... Mm-hmm. Shake someone's hand when you when you, when someone holds up their hand. I've I've fallen for that many times, but you think about it. it, it you, you do it, but you think about it in a, in a way that we didn't before the pandemic. It's same, the same as you know you you think about before you go into a crowded room. You think about whether you're going to put a mask on or not. But mm-hmm. when you leave when I leave the house, I think about whether I have a mask in my pocket in case I go have to go into a room or something. And I think that's going to be with us for a long time. That's that's the the, the, the thesis behind the book is that the pandemic has changed the way we're, we we talk about things, and, we, and it's also changed the way we behave uh, in ways that are going to be with us for a very long time. Yeah. Did, did you, Wayne, as, as Margaret Atwood suggests in, in on the blurb in her blurb on your book, that, that you mm-hmm. kept say a list of words, as, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, starting three years ago, say? Yeah, I did. Um, I knew I was going to write something about the pandemic. Being a writer and, and being in the midst of something as big as as, as a pandemic, uh, what I what I had to figure out was a way to because it's the pandemic was a moving target. I mean, it was a it was a breaking story and it was breaking for three years. I had to figure out a way to to uh, to write about it 
in a way that wouldn't change uh, between the time I sent the book to the publisher and the time the book came out. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I hit on the idea of, of, of writing it as a kind of dictionary of the words that we use to talk about the pandemic, because they're not going to change. We, you know, we, the way we talked about face masks in 2020 are the way we talk about face masks now. Uh, and everybody knows when you say a face mask, everyone knows what you mean. Yeah. And so I could I could write about face masks without having to you know without having to say how I could write about how our attitude towards face masks has changed or how different communities have different ideas about whether they want to wear face masks or not. But everybody knows what the word face mask means. It no longer means something you buy a Canadian Tire to play hockey with. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there are some terms though that that I don't know if they they, they could be used in another context. So flatten the curve, for example. Yeah. Um, that that seems to be, uh, you know, uh, it was born after 2020, and I think um, probably in that pandemic itself, yeah. in this current pandemic. I mean, even now that that doesn't, I mean, people don't really use that anymore, do they? No, that was pretty much at the beginning, and and it w- it was it was mostly used before there were vaccines available. Mm, right. People people were trying, uh, you know, hospitals were trying to keep the number of people in the ICUs down. And uh, the number of, of uh, you know people they had to have on staff, and so they wanted they wanted to spread the the, the spread the, they wanted to flatten the curve, which meant to spread out the number of people going into hospitals over a longer period, so they had more time to deal with them and and and, and get them out of the hospital before the next wave came along. You remind so, us, yeah, yeah. Pardon me. Sorry, just so you're right. We probably won't be using that too much after after the pandemic, but you know. There may be another pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> we're not we're not out of we may be out of the clearing, but we're not out of the woods. Yeah, that's a, the thing I kept hearing was was um, and even now that that um, this may be the first of many over the next few years. Well, and it, it has been, you know, it started in two thousand and two or two thousand and three with SARS, right. and then we had MERS, and then yeah. uh, you know, there's avian flu and, and swine flu. Uh, there are all kinds of things going around this one is a lot bigger than the other one uh my my i like to think well i i don't like to point and say this to a virologist but it seems to me that the that the viruses are getting smarter mm. uh, the reason that sars did sars only only but sars killed sars affected about eight thousand cases around the world which now in retrospect seems like very small yeah um but it and and, and it didn't really take off into a worldwide pandemic because it killed too many of its of its victims. People who got SARS, most of the, many of the people who got SARS died before they were able to infect other people. With this, with this, with COVID, with this coronavirus, um, it seems to have figured out that if it if it was milder uh, and didn't and didn't kill people so fast, that it would spread. To, to more people, and it would survive. The, the virus itself would survive uh, a lot longer, and that's and that's what happened. It, it has, it's not as it's not as virulent yeah. or as deadly as SARS or MERS, uh, and, but it's 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 more easily spread, and it uh, and it's been around a lot longer. A lot of the words in, in your book that um, I was re-re- as I was reading the book and, and re- seeing once again some of these terms, especially the scientific mm-hmm. ones that right. we got to learn over the last three years, um, yeah. got me thinking about how much more we know about science or vaccines because because yeah. of these these terms that we would hear, these words we would hear. 
Um, th- then it got me wondering, you know, how how many of these words that we know and use do we really know them? Say, I mean, <laughs> were we just were we just yeah. say repeating things that we heard at the media and and thinking we were uh, a lot smarter than we actually are? Yeah, well, that and politicians were able to sound <laughs> a lot smarter than, <laughs> than yeah. maybe they are. Uh, but I, I found that for myself, even when I first started writing the book, that, you know, I, you know, we all use the word virus, and I used the word virus many times, but I didn't actually know what a virus was, how, how it differed from a bacteria, for example. Yeah. And so I, I looked that up and, and was able to sort of describe a virus. Uh, I, you know, what is, what is the word, what is, what is a quarantine? Where did that word come from? Um, and, you know, things like that I found very interesting when I actually dug into those words to see where they came from. Uh, and we've also brought words over from other areas to, to use and to, uh, to describe the pandemic. So, you know, words like uptick, for example, mm. uh, which I had, you know, I, not being a close follower of the stock market, I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the word uptick. But uh, but that's you know a small increase in in the value of something or in the number of something is, is a is a stock market term, and now it's being applied to to COVID. And I've seen it ever since the beginning of COVID. I, I've seen it everywhere. I mean, newspaper headlines are saying you know an uptick in new cases in Germany, mm-hmm. uh, where they never would have done that before the before the uh, pandemic, even though the word exists yeah. existed. One of the words that we brought back, if you will, or reused, um, is one that goes back a while, and that's plague. Um, yeah. It's a, such a loaded term. Uh, it's rooted in history, obviously. It's misused and abused um, certainly a lot over the last three years, hasn't it? Yes. It, it, it's, you know, in, in Donald Trump referred to the pandemic as yeah. a plague, for example, with a capital P in it. In yeah. his, uh, in his tweets, but yeah, we over you know in the last I don't know seven centuries, eight centuries since the plague was a, was a, a real threat uh, in Europe. Uh, it's come it's come to become it's come to be used to apply to anything that annoys us, you know, a plague of mosquitoes or <laughs> yeah. a plague of questions or something. But uh, and I, that, that might happen with happen with COVID too. Uh, but it it. it what we try, and one of the things I talk about in the book is that we, we try to make something that we find threatening, like the plague, we try to make it more familiar by using it uh, in, in sort of benign ways, in non-threatening ways, so that we're not quite as, uh, we don't walk around in quite as much fear as we, as we probably should. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, plague, and the plague is still with us. People still die of the plague every year. But uh, it's not anything nearly as bad as it, as it used to be, and that, and I guess we kind of hope that that'll be the case with COVID as well. So, as you were uh, starting to observe how uh, the language, if you will, in, in March of 2020 through to through the course of writing this book, um, you obviously saw how uh, language was deployed and and um, in not so positive ways. I mean, uh, we certainly saw in this pandemic how um, certain words were used to, to, to misinform the public, bad actors using language for, for less than, than positive purposes. Um, right. did, did you notice that from the beginning, say, that, that, that um, this was starting right away, that, that, that um, say, say, scammers even or, or, or you know, certain politicians were, were um, doing bad things with, with the information? Oh, yes. Well, you know, 
especially one bad politician in particular. Yeah. But, you know, we're like hydroxychloroquine. Uh, it, you know, Donald Trump was using that, misusing that uh, as a, as a you know a cure all for COVID right mm-hmm. from the right from the very beginning before the, this is before there were vaccines available and but he was also he was also using it to to inform people that there was another way of of dealing with with COVID if you if you didn't want to have a vaccine or if you if you were an anti-vaxxer you know why don't you try gargling with chloride or something yeah. <laughs> or chlorine or something like that uh, so I mean that's certainly using you know bad science and and you know the the, the arguments that that Trump had with with uh, Dr. Fauci for example Fauci was trying to use the science. One of the things that makes that that uh, I think we have learned is, is that we we had better start we had better listen to scientists more carefully uh, in, in cases like this because they they consistently told us what we needed to know and. Uh, Many many politicians and, and individuals tended to ignore what they were saying because you know, using the economy as a as a as a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we shut down everything for as long as the scientists said we should, then the economy would collapse, and we understand that. But um, I think we I think the, the the pandemic wouldn't have lasted as long as it as it has. Uh, if we paid more attention to the science, yeah. you, you remind us in the book about um, uh, the the anti-vaccine movement, um, yeah. and this predates COVID. I mean, um, uh, you, you reminded yeah. us of, of um, the links to autism, which have been debunked. Um, yeah, through the measles vaccine. Yeah, and yeah, and I mean. That's another fascinating thing that we we tend to overlook. That, that some people think that the anti-vaccine movement is, is because of, of this, but I mean it, it's been around for oh even even the during the Spanish flu, for example, there, there were people who yeah. didn't well, want to get were, vaccinated. There were, no, right? there were no vaccines for that for the nineteen eighteen flu, but people resisted having their children vaccinated for polio. Polio, that's right. Yeah. Uh, for, I, I remember uh, when I was a kid going to school. I remember you used to get the, the, that five that five prong vaccine in your arm, have five little circle of five holes in your arm for all the things that they were they were vaccinating for. And I remember people not, not you know children not getting that, and then sort of not lining up for it because their parents had either religious reasons or or uh, mis- misinformation reasons. The, the measles vaccine. That started with someone who, uh, a doctor in England, who a scientist in England, who claimed that he had det- detected a connection between autism and the measles vaccine. Uh, it was immediately debunked within, you know, within a few weeks. Uh, that the, even the paper, even the, the journal that published that study withdrew the study and said there was no scientific basis for it. But by that time, it was too late. Yeah, uh, it, and. Uh, it, it, there was measles was coming back. It was one of those diseases that we had more or less got rid of, like tuberculosis and some of the other polio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now those some of those diseases are coming back, uh, and and people are dying because because of that uh, you know misinformation about the, the connection between uh, the vaccine and and autism. Do you think, uh, when observing it all as closely as you have, we're better prepared for the next pandemic? Well, it depends on what the what the pandemic is. You know, what the next pandemic. If it's another coronavirus, COVID uh, type of of disease, then I think well, we have the vaccines. 
we have we know you know we know we know how to distribute them we know how to how how often to give them how often we need them uh I, so i think i think if it's a if it's a covid like disease that that comes next time we at least have the equipment to deal with it whether we have the will and, and the political will and the individual will uh to deal with it is another question if it comes too soon uh i think you know there's such a thing as as uh, pandemic fatigue mm. we just you know that's why we're we're sort of not you know that's why we're shaking hands and not wearing masks now because we're just tired of it yeah. and and uh and even though you know, still, I just looked up the, the stats, and there's something like 500 people dying a month, and sorry, dying every week around the world. About 300 of them in North America. So there's, it's still out there, but uh, we're pretty much, we, you know, the governments have declared that it's over. They've lifted all the restrictions, and uh, you know, if if another if another pandemic hit us in the next year or two, it, it might be hard for people to go back to, to being locked down and getting vaccinated. So, yeah, yeah, de- yeah it depends on how bad it is. Yeah, that's the thing I've heard, you know, once they started reopening things this this last time, um, you'd hear things in the press even that, that we'll never go back to this again. And, and yeah. th- that sort of does something. Um, psychologically to a lot of people. I mean, yeah. if we yeah, needed to go back, it would be impossible. to. It's like putting the toothpaste back in the, the tube, right? Yes, or it's like people going back to work after, the, yeah. after they were sent home to work from home. A lot of people haven't. Yeah. Uh, it, there's, there's, like I say, the long-term consequences of this are going to be, are going to be, it's a tautology. The long-term consequences are going to be with us for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to, and if you had it, wanted to know what what is like when governments suddenly lift, lift all restrictions, just look what's happened in China. Uh, China yeah. had the strictest lockdown restrictions in 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 the world in uh, for for years for the first two years, and then in December, they just suddenly lifted them all. And and the estimates are that since December. Uh, over a million and a half people have died in China uh, because they were unprepared. They were they were they were in lockdown, so they didn't have the immunity that that they might have had. Mm-hmm. Uh, not enough, you know. Not many people didn't have it. Did had never got COVID, so they didn't have the natural immunity. The Chinese uh, uh, vaccines that were developed weren't as as effective as some of the ones that were developed elsewhere, uh, and so the the the, pen, the COVID just has really had it terrible effect on the on the population of china uh so you know it's 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 a it's a lesson that we should learn to about lifting restrictions too soon it's one of those lessons that i think that, that we have to relearn too and and yeah. sometimes we we do these things too late you know what i mean yeah yeah well, uh, hindsight is great. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Uh, you mentioned in the in the in the back of the book that um, uh, you you mentioned f- you, you have fifteen close family members, and yeah. you describe um, uh, the experience you've all had with with COVID and with vaccines and the sort. You mentioned that three of the fifteen were not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, one for ideolo- ideological reasons, one for uh, comorbidity, which is another term that we learned over the last three years, yeah. um, and uh, another because they weren't convinced of yeah. the, the vaccine. I, I, I'm terribly nosy, and, 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 and uh, <laughs> please don't, uh, you know, don't uh, betray confidence or anything like that. But I'm wondering, um, 
what are the conversations like three years hence? Um, or, or, or the vaccine's really about two years old, um, two years after all of this. Um, are, are there conversations about whether uh, the vaccine was effective or um, whether the decisions that they made were accurate? Um, we've had conversations, but not, not we haven't had any, uh, I guess the word would be confrontations, but, yeah. but we have had conversations about it. Uh, we re- both my wife and I respect the decisions of, of the other members of the family. Uh, we may not agree with them, but we, re- we certainly, <laughs> we, do, we, we respect their, their, their right to make their own decisions about it. I, I, in the course of writing this book, I, I, was able to point to very specific reasons why getting a vaccine is, is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, people, people have to make up, the, make up their own minds, and we have to learn to live with them, especially if they're family members. Uh, I, mostly my, my response to those people who are unvaccinated was that I was worried for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that... I know that Large percentage of the people that are getting vaccine, getting uh, COVID now and are dying from it, are the unvaccinated, and uh, you know they know that, and they still, you know, they still believe what they believe, and that's that's as far as I can take it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the in the course of writing the book, uh, you cite uh, a number of media accounts. Um, and uh, it reminds us a lot of, of what we were listening to, watching over the last three years. Um, have you got any thoughts, Wayne, as to, to how the media, in Canada specifically, covered the pandemic? I mean, did, did you find that they were, um, I was going to say accurate, but I, I don't think that's the right word, but I mean, do you find that um, they were effective and, and um, as a result, uh, reliable, say? I, I did. Uh, I, I received news feeds from many, many news media sources or for the, during the course of writing this book. I, I relied on them for my information, at least for where to, where to go to look for, for you know more solid information. And I always I, I found that uh, they were reliable uh, in the information. Their interpretation of the information sometimes was not was you know was not. I didn't always agree with their interpretation of it. Uh, I, I did, but I did, you know, they did report what, for example, what, what, uh, the prime minister said about lockdowns. Mm-hmm. You know, if they then went on to disagree with, with, uh, with the prime minister about it, that's, that's their, up to them. But I did, I, I did get, they did quote him accurately. And, uh, and so I was able to, to use that, that kind of research. Uh, I, I, I started being a journalist, started in journalism when, when, Every, when a writer had to have three independent sources for every statement of fact in the story that uh-huh. he wrote, and I, I wasn't, I didn't follow that so much, um, but I, I did, if, and I did, uh, I did get two. You know, if somebody, if somebody was quoted saying something in one, in one media source, I would fi- try to find it in another, and uh, if I did, then I, I, I accepted that it was an accurate quote. Uh, Certainly, the statistics that were reported by the media were accurate. Um, again, there was interpretations of them, but I was able to use their, their statistical analyses uh, fairly well. And then, of course, there were there were the scientific outlets that were more reliable than than the, sort of the daily newspapers. Sure. Uh, scientific journals like the New England Journal of 
medicine, of um, nature, um, they, they, I always, I always trusted those sources. What, what about, uh, because you just mentioned um, reporting, say, versus interpretation. Um, there's a great lack of media literacy, not just in this country, but elsewhere. Um, a lot of people take the interpretation as reporting. You, yeah. you and me, we can d- 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 um, s- sort of discern the difference, but yeah. a lot of people can't. Does that worry you as well? Well, it worries me on a large scale, not just in terms of COVID, but just in terms of uh, where people are getting their information about anything. Uh, I, I find that, that daily newspapers uh, are relying more on opinion than on, on, on um, you know, statements of fact. Right. Uh, that some of the, even some of the, they're not even called opinion pieces anymore. Some of the, some of the main front page news stories are, are filled with, filled with someone's version of what, of what, uh, what, what was happening out there. So I think that's a problem media wide. Um, yes, and, and I think that people, that some people, many people are able to, to see that and, and, and take from it what they will. Um, but you're right that a lot of people are, you know, um, English isn't their first language, perhaps, or, or uh, they find it difficult to, to 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 discern whether whether they're reading a fact or an opinion, mm. and that's a problem. Indeed, indeed. There's another uh, blurb on your book from Douglas Copeland, wondering if this this might be only volume one. Um, I, I enjoyed this book a great deal. I hope <laughs> a oh, volume two isn't, uh, you know, something that, that, that'll come out, uh, <laughs> fairly soon. Yeah, yeah, you know I what know. I mean? It's, it's one of those, you don't, I, one, one of the, uh, I was one of the people who said, who said that, uh, you know, I hope COVID lasts until the book comes out. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean it unkindly, but I, yeah, you I, I don't, I don't think there are enough new terms to, to, to bring out a second book, but there's certainly, uh, new terms that have come out since the book went, went to press that uh-huh. I could add. A f- I, I could add a few more terms, and I could certainly bring some of the terms in the book up to date. Uh, it, it, because things, as, as I said, this is a breaking story, and it's still breaking. Um, but I hope eventually that this book will be history. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations uh, on it, Wayne. It's it's a, a, a great. Uh, I've enjoyed reading it as much as one can enjoy looking back at uh, the last three years. Um, but I learned a lot, even especially things that I forgot over the last three years. Uh, continue. Good luck with the book. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate. I'm glad to talk to you. The book is called Pandexicon: How the Language of uh, the Pandemic Defined Our New Cultural Reality. It's published by Greystone Books. Its author uh, Wayne Grady. Join me on the line from Kingston, Ontario. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Planta.